we learned very quickly on what we're good at and what we're not good at. And this has been the biggest lesson over the three years is Elizabeth and I in the beginning took on everything. And we didn't even divide things up as much as like, we did everything together. We took on everything. We, we worked really, really hard. And so whether that was figuring out bookkeeping or figuring out how to launch a site or figuring out accounting, I mean, just things that we just were not first in. What happened was as we started getting some success, we started realizing is we don't know what we don't know. And we started bringing in other people and talking to other people and understanding that finance is not one of our strengths. Even in today's digital world, when we think small business, we often think the mom and pop shop on Main Street. Or maybe you think about the lawyer who drew up your will or the accountant who prepares your taxes. Even online, you probably think about coaches, designers, artists, educators, copywriters, and project managers. One thing all of these businesses have in common is that they're person-to-person kind of businesses. Whether the person is walking through the door of a coffee shop or the person represents a business they founded, each transaction feels really personal. It's a business ecosystem we can all be really comfortable with. But there's a different business ecosystem that many small business owners and self-employed people deal in. That ecosystem? Big business. Did you know that 54% of Google's workforce is temporary workers, contractors, and vendors? I sure didn't. And did you know that Facebook has tens of thousands of contract workers? Nope, I didn't know that either. Some of these workers are people who choose flexibility or temporary work at home over long-term permanent employment. But plenty are small business owners who are doing business with the big dogs, or should I say unicorns? (laughs) You're listening to What Works, the show that brings you candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today without the hype or gimmicks. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Today, my guest is Michael Karsh, and Michael is the co-founder of a company that does business with the unicorns. When I first met Michael, he wasn't a business owner. He was my content producer at Creative Live. Together, we developed nine classes and reached tens of thousands of people with high-quality video education. Later, he helped work on this very podcast. A couple of years ago, Michael and another of my producers, Elizabeth Madariaga, started their own video production company, Edios Media. You can hear more about their first year in business in episode 101. Now, I wanted to bring Michael back on the show to take a look at how his and Elizabeth's mindset and confidence level has evolved as they've worked with giant clients like Google, Facebook, Salesforce, and the Sundance Institute. Michael and I talk about the first big deal they signed, how the clients they serve today are different from what they initially expected, and how the business itself has evolved to serve those clients. This candid conversation with Michael is part of a whole series we're doing here at What Works on confidence. We want to shed light on how small business owners continue to find confidence long after they've taken the leap to get started. Over the next month, you'll hear about finding the confidence to raise your prices, come back after a major loss, experiment and iterate, and stick with the plan. When we're not posting new conversations on the podcast, we're sharing personal essays and reflections from What Works Network members on how they find the confidence to take the next step. 
To get the full series delivered to your inbox and check out what we've already released, go to explorewhatworks.com slash confidence. That's explorewhatworks.com slash confidence. Now, let's find out what works for Michael Karsh. Michael Karsh, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Tara. Absolutely. And we're having you back to the podcast. You and your business partner, Elizabeth Madariaga, we're here for episode 101. We are now up into the 220s now, if you can believe that. (laughs) I can't believe that. Um, But in that episode 101, uh, in that initial episode that we, we talked with you, we learned all sorts of things about that first year you were in business. But I know that things have changed, things have evolved. And I think that things have maybe gone to places you didn't necessarily expect them to go when you were starting this company. So how is the work that you do at Edios Media today different than what you expected it to be when you first got started? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's funny, you know, thinking back to when we first started and we and we were um, ideating what this company is going to be and what our services are going to be, it's not all that different in terms of the services we provide. We knew what our expertise was. So at the base level, it's not that different. We knew that we were going to help people ideate and produce online education. I think the biggest difference from when we first started and first launched was who we were going to be doing this for. And that was that's what's changed significantly. In our wildest dreams, we would have never thought we would be creating online education for the companies that we are. We always thought initially we'd be working with influencers, authors, instructors, helping them hone their online education and their um, their curriculum. Uh, but that changed fairly quickly within our first year. Yeah. So tell us about that. How? What are the kinds of clients that you're working with now instead? So yeah. So what happened was within the first six months of us becoming a company, we had the opportunity to pitch and bid on a big project uh, with Google. And this was a project that was part of their philanthropic side, so Grow With Google, and it was a massive project. So big, this was something the size that Elizabeth and I had never worked on before. So uh, it was six courses that they wanted to produce uh, within a, a pretty small time frame. But it was a lot of content. I think it was somewhere between, at that point, we didn't know how many videos. It ended up being between 500 and 600 videos to produce. Um, oh my God. Insane. I mean, just the sheer amount of content. So, what happened was we were asked to bid on this project. Uh, we went into Coursera and sat around a table with 10 different people. And, it, you know, it was us two, Edios Media, and we pitched ourselves, we pitched our expertise what we bring to the table, how we're different. And we went away and we know we were up against a couple other vendors and we got the project. So that, that like sort of kicked everything off. And so within our first, you know, six to eight months of existence, all of a sudden Google was now one of our clients. Okay. Damn. So <laughs> let's let's pick this apart a little bit more because that sounds all very neat and tidy. Um, and I am quite certain that it was not as neat, neat and tidy as you just made it sound. So when you first got that opportunity to work with Coursera and pitch Google, what what was the first thing that went through your head when you got that email or that phone call, however you heard about it? It's, 
the first thing that went through my head was that we're going to get this. Like we oh. are, we're going to walk in and we're not walking out without this gig. And it's, it's funny, like that sort of mindset, um, I've, I've always, it's, it's always been with me ever since whenever I started my career, when I walked into interviews, I would get into that mindset if I thought it was the right job for me is that this is my job and I'm, and I'm not walking out without it. So that was the mindset I tried to get in for that pitch. And here's the thing is we had nothing to lose at that point. We walked in with tons of confidence. Now, when it started becoming a reality and we were starting to paper a deal and really figure out budgets and all that, that's when the sweat started coming and the anxiety started coming. Okay, let's talk about that. Okay. <laughs> because, of course, that's what I want to know is like, all right, did you have that kind of confidence the whole time you were doing this work or, or negotiating this deal? So what were the parts of the process of actually making that deal into reality that like you said, got, you know, made you sweat, got your anxiety up. Where were the where were the places where you were feeling like less than confident as you started to kind of dig into the project more and more? Sure. So in order to answer that, you sort of your listeners kind of need to understand sort of what our services are. So mm -hmm. we work with companies in a variety of ways. We're essentially an agency that focuses on building uh, building online education. So whether that's courses, one off videos any kind of curriculum, online curriculum, e-learning. So this, in this case, with this project, this was an all-in, soup-to-nuts project where we were going to be in charge of managing the project, shooting the project, editing the project, and delivering the project. Now, sometimes companies bring us in and they just want us to consult on content. Sometimes mm -hmm. they just want us to film and edit. Sometimes they just want us to manage the animation. This was an all-in. So for that in any case, when we're working with a client, it's that is a there has to be a lot of sort of budgeting, a lot of kind of pre-work of figuring out what this thing is going to cost, because that's what they're buying into, right? Like that number. So that's where I think we started sweating is because at that point, I don't think anyone, any of the stakeholders knew the the total scope of the project. So we were bidding on something with a, just kind of shooting in the dark a little bit. And that was terrifying because it's not like we would be able to cover overages, right? Or like, so I think in the, in the budgeting process, in the proposal process, and really nailing down schedule, all that, we were sort of guessing on a lot because we just didn't have tons of experience to go on in this case, in, in this world. I think that's where we got really terrified. But I will say we worked very closely with our lawyer so that we knew that, and obviously with the clients, so that when change orders were necessary, everybody was well aware. So we definitely made sure we were covered in that way, but that we were just essentially shooting in the dark with a lot of the numbers in the beginning. Yeah. I'm really curious how your previous experience helped you uh, kind of navigate this process um, in your own company, because this is the first you've owned your own company, right? But you have tons of experience in video production and television in the past that you could draw on. Can you kind of speak to what, you know, maybe how, how that past experience 
helped, I'm assuming it didn't hurt, but like, how did it help you get your head around moving forward with this kind of a, this huge project in what was still a very, very new business? That's a, that's a great question. And, you know, prior to that, we had, we had produced a lot of content, a lot of online education content. And so Elizabeth and her role in the, uh, her previous role at Creative Live, she was responsible for managing the channel's budget, right? So mm-hmm. knowing how much courses were going to cost, what the, what the ROI was going to bring, like just managing all the numbers associated with a lot of content. So we were able to sort of think through as much as we possibly can all the different line items we thought were going to be necessary for this, how that was going to impact the schedule, um, and try to work backwards from that. Now, I will say, so Elizabeth has an incredible amount of experience with project management and production management. My experience tends to be a little bit more on the content development side. So her experiencing her experience in managing um, schedules, tight deadlines, that she really was able to think through as best as possible what those obstacles obstacles were going to be, where the hiccups might happen, where we might get stuck. Now, you know, looking back, the interesting thing is there were aspects of large aspects of um, this production that we had no idea how long it was going to take and what it was going to cost. So things like post-production, like when you're editing 600 videos to really understand how long that's going to take, how many, um, how many videos someone could get through in a day, approvals, all of that, like kind of back into the schedule. A lot of that was guesswork the first time around. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, we, we had a lot of experience working with editors. So understanding, you know, how much footage we're capturing, understanding how that all goes through the flow of production and post-production, I think gave us enough confidence that we knew at the end of the day, we were going to be able to deliver. Now to that, I will say is we both looked at each other when we got this, when we, uh, when they called us and said, yep, we're going to sign with you. We looked at each other and we knew this was going to nearly kill us. We knew, we knew the moment we signed that this was going to be, this was our next six months were going to be horrific, amazing, but really, really, really intense. But we saw this as a massive opportunity for us. And we knew that this was going to be, this was, this was essentially investing in ourselves and our company. If we can get through this, then we've figured something out. And we've not, not only have we delivered for one of the biggest companies on the planet, but we were able to, you know, make something, make something big and kind of solidify who we think we are and the kind of services we deliver. Yeah. Was there ever a moment either before the project actually started or during the project itself while, where you thought, I don't know if we can actually do this? It's so funny. So now I, I think back to what you said, our previous experience. So no, there was never okay. a point. And I'll, t- and I'll tell you why. is because we both come from production. So we yeah. both spent a lot of our uh, earlier career making TV content, Um, we both worked in kids television. So one of the, my first lessons in when I, my first job was, uh, in art department working on Backstreet Boy videos. I think I worked on a Madonna video. There was no such thing as no. That's what was my first lesson in production. 
There's no such thing as no. It's like, yes, we can figure this out. It is either you throw money at it, you throw people at it, but there's no such thing as no. And both Elizabeth and I have that attitude. So no, there was never a point where we're like, this is not going to happen. There were many points where we said to ourselves, it's like, how are we going to solve this? Does this affect the schedule? How does this affect the budget? And I will say is um, we pride ourselves, one of our core values is, is communication. And we pride ourselves on being incredibly communicative with our clients. So at every level, they understand how something impacts something else. So if somebody's not delivering scripts in time, that's fine, but here's what that means. Right. And so that, so, so to answer your question, no, we knew that we could deliver this. It was just going to be about how and when. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah. I mean, perfect. There's, there's no such thing as no. I think that that's something we could all learn from. <laughs> okay. So you guys, you delivered this project for Google, but this was not the the last giant, like literally giant corporate client that you worked with. You've worked with Facebook, you've worked with Salesforce, you've worked with some just other phenomenally huge or extremely well-known organizations and companies. Can you tell us about how your approach to working with these kinds of clients has evolved and then how that how the evolution of that approach has impacted your confidence level too? Absolutely. So, you know, I, I look back at that Google project and I think we were blessed in so many ways. You know, I think it was the right time, right place. All of these things allowed us to get that. And like I said before, I knew when we got this that it might kill us, but this was going to be our kind of entrance, our, our businesses sort of coming out. And so that was a unique one in that we went all in on a massive project right away. So Yes. And so what, what we learned from that is that we started developing relationships with other large companies, such as uh, Facebook and Salesforce. Um, Lyft is another one. And I think what we learned is let's, let's, so all those projects that we started with those larger companies weren't necessarily massive when we started. So they, they could be a, a much smaller project. So they might bring us in to consult on one video or a series of videos. And so what we do is we can get in there, establish our relationship, show them what we're capable of, over-deliver, and then we've seen every single time uh, more work comes from that. And so a lot of these companies too, what's so interesting with like these massive companies, which I thought was unique for us, is a lot of these companies have these internal resources already. They have internal production resources oftentimes. Um, they also have internal education at some level, curriculum design, um, mm -hmm. instructional designers, content designers, but they didn't necessarily have what we bring to the table, which is the management side. Uh, our unique value prop, which is really thinking about storytelling in terms of education. How do you make education entertaining? All of these things. So what happens is we get in, uh, Elizabeth and I will, will close the deal. We look at ourselves and we're like, all right, we're gonna kick butt here. We're going to over-deliver on that first project, always uh, show them what we're capable of. And inevitably, every single time, someone from a different division sees our work or we're in a meeting with someone from a different division. And they're like, oh, we could use you guys. I think you guys would be really valuable for us. And that's happened nearly every single time so that all of a sudden we started building a relationship with one team 
say at Facebook or Lyft or another company, and all of a sudden we're now having conversations with a different team. And then the, the work gets bigger and bigger. And so it ends up almost becoming like a kind of growth life cycle, right? We start, yeah. we start at one place and that has been, so for those larger companies, that has absolutely been a strategy for us. And those are relationships that we nurture all the time. So Salesforce is a very, a very interesting one. And we're still at early stages with them. And, and I feel very confident at some level, we're going to be able to work with them in much bigger ways. They brought me in as a producer. And it's not something I normally do. I don't normally get kind of hired out as a producer. You know, it's, it's more that like we like to be brought in with content development and production and all these things. But they wanted to work with me. Um, they, I, I was recommended uh, through a colleague and they brought me in to work at Dreamforce last year. And I came in, I had a bunch of ideas. Uh, I started working with them, say, like maybe a month before Dreamforce started. And I knew that this wasn't exactly, it didn't totally fit with kind of what EDOS is, but I knew I wanted to build a relationship with them. And these were the right people to build a relationship with. And I wanted mm -hmm. to show them what I'm capable of. And so in doing that, I produced several videos for them. And our relationship, you know, our relationship is ongoing. Our conversations are ongoing. So it's my hope, and it might be a slow burn, is that maybe in this next Dreamforce, we have a much bigger role. Or they give us a call when they're in a meeting and they realize that they have some curriculum they want to build. And like, oh, you know, EDIOS might be perfect for that. So these are, these are relationships that I'm fostering all the time. Whereas like some of the more medium-sized clients that we have, they can kind of come in and out in a matter of three to six months, right? Yeah. Like we produce, we move on. Oftentimes they come back for the next project, but, but those, yeah, those, you know, they hear about us. We could sign a deal quickly, shoot quickly, move on. But these other big ones, like I take a lot of pride in those relationships I build with them. You'll hear more from Michael in just a bit, but first a word from our What Works partner. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Want to know the secret to creating more impact with your business while working less? Connect the people you care about to each other. Bringing people together is the magic ingredient in every success story in the digital age. Think about it. If you create connections between your followers and offer value through those interactions, your brand gets more useful with each new person who connects. When you bring people together, you're creating something much bigger than yourself, your podcast, your YouTube channel, or your Instagram feed. The savviest influencers, podcasters, content creators, educators, and entertainers today are focusing on how they can connect their fans and followers to each other, not just build an audience. And that's where Mighty Networks comes in. Mighty Networks gives you the power to connect the people you care about most, your followers, fans, and customers. And it acts as the central hub of your business operations, bringing your content, courses, relationships, messaging, events, and even payment processing together in one platform. We use Mighty Networks to power the What Works Network. We've seen firsthand just how much more value we can create by helping small business owners connect, build relationships, trade notes, and deep dive on their most pressing business challenges challenges. And Mighty Networks has drastically streamlined our workflows too. Ready to connect your followers and create a lasting impact? It's time to get started with Mighty Networks. Get started free of charge by going to mightynetworks.com. That's mightynetworks.com.
I want to kind of backtrack just a little bit to something you said about like you you guys are confident in the, your unique value proposition. You know what it is. You know how to sell yourself in a meeting or in just sort of that the ongoing nurturing of those relationships. What did you guys do to get so clear on that unique selling proposition, unique value proposition, so that you could have that level of confidence when you're in those meetings or when you're talking to people? Well, I think, I, so a couple of things. So I think our, our previous experience working at Creative Live and then also prior in, in entertainment before has given us a lot of experience and confidence. I also think that we are coming into the industry at such a unique time in that there's not a ton of people doing what we do with the experience we have, and we know mm-hmm. that. So whereas there might be tons of platforms out there that can provide a vehicle for people to, to have their online education, there aren't people really out there that are working with people at the earliest stages to help develop really, really engaging content that um, isn't just a screencast or isn't. So this is what we've noticed a lot, especially with the larger companies is and product-driven companies. They're very good at how to do stuff and teaching how to do stuff because that's all they think about. They think about it all the time, all those product-minded people. What they don't think about is why. And so I'll sit in these meetings with these companies and, and say, okay, I get it. And you're teaching me how to do X, Y, or Z, but I still don't know why I'm supposed to be doing this. If I'm your audience member, like, what is the story? What am I supposed to be feeling? And these, the funny thing is a lot of times these people have never been asked that question before. So their minds start wandering and they get really excited. And so the, the Google project, we believe that was a huge part of its success is that it was there was a lot of how in there. I mean, the, the, the certificate program was to teach some people a very specific set of skills. But what we really focused on and what they really wanted to do was tell a narrative to the, to the very distinct users, like why they should be there, why this is important to them, what they could hope for, you know, what are their fears, what are their hopes, what are their dreams? And that, that this is what we do. This is what my specialty is. So when we start having those conversations with clients, I see their eyes light up. I see them get really excited because no one's really thought about this. And then I, you know, I've turned it into done it, doing this for so long now, I've turned it into a process by which mm-hmm. I could do this for something that's 600 videos or one video, or even just an idea um, that someone might need to ideate a little bit and turn into a video or a course. So I think that's where the confidence came from. And I think when we start thinking about the idea of narrative and storytelling, a lot of times people have never associated that with education. Mm-hmm. And I think the, and the other value prop I think of all the time now is I think as learners, everyone out there has such a different relationship to video now than they did even five years ago. And we're looking at video all the time. And I think there's an expectation with that, with on-demand video, with the kind of quality that we can watch on any kind of smart television or any kind of smart device, and even on Instagram and Facebook and all, it's just different. I don't think organizations and people can get away with the quality and frankly, the crap that they were putting out five to 10 years ago. And so that's where we come in. And they start seeing is that quality, the idea of quality content comes across and not just the quality of the content itself, how well it's teaching and engaging a user, but how does it look? How does it sound? How am I engaging people and, and, 
and competing with Netflix and competing with the 17 different videos someone can watch on their computer or tablet at any given moment. And so I think that's where, like, that's the conversations that we're having with companies. Yeah. Okay. So I think anyone listening to this is thinking probably like, well, of course you're getting these gigs of like your confidence in your service in the outcomes that it creates. It is completely clear. Uh, you sound so self-assured. Um, but what listeners don't know is what you sounded like a couple of years ago when you guys were getting this off the ground, right? Like what is it, has it been two years or three years since you started talking about the even the idea of EDIOS. So it's so funny, actually, come October will be three years is when we incorporated ourselves. Oh my God. Okay. So it's been, I don't know where life has gone and time has gone, but okay, three years. Uh, I remember the early conversations about this company and uh, the, the tone of your voice, the confidence in your voice is very different than where you were three years ago today. What do you think, what do you attribute that to? How, why, why did you feel, or why did it at least seem to me that you felt a lack of confidence, not so much in your ability to, to deliver a great product, but in to run a business, you know, but in the idea of running a business versus today when you're like, there's no such thing as no, this is what we do. This is what I'm perfectly skilled at. How do you reconcile those two things? Like what, what has changed? <laughs> so to that, and I think we even mentioned this in the first podcast, I literally remember the conversation with you when we were, we were working on your podcast, yep. when I was at Creative Live and I, I sat you down and I floated this idea by you, you stood up and said, yes. I remember <laughs> that so distinctly because um, Elizabeth and I have been talking like, what do you think? I think the biggest difference, there's a couple of things. I think the biggest difference is, um, I think we built this, we started building this idea, this company at the right time. Because I think this idea of using video to upskill, to onboard, to educate, even to market, that idea of edu marketing, it's just, it's happening everywhere. So like the industry is changing so significantly and very quickly. I think education is one of those last kind of bastions that was kind of resisting digital transformation. And now we're all seeing it. I mean, automation is causing this absolute need globally to create a workforce that is skilled for the jobs of tomorrow and today. And so that is a, that's just a topic of conversation that's happening out there. And so we just happened to be starting this at that time. So I felt like we were just, we just, we, it was a time and placing. So I think that's the first thing. So I think we got very lucky in that we launched this idea with a unique value prop at the right time. Now, it, now for listeners out there, I would say the biggest thing that has given us confidence, besides the fact that we were able to land some amazing gigs and, and show what we're capable of um, and create a consistent kind of revenue stream through those jobs, is we learned very quickly on what we're good at and what we're not good at. And this has been the biggest lesson over the three years is Elizabeth and I, in the beginning, took on everything. And we didn't even divide things up as much as like, we did everything together. We took on everything. We, we worked really, really hard. And so whether that was figuring out bookkeeping or figuring out how to launch a site or figuring out accounting, I mean, just things that we just were not first in. 
what happened was as we started getting some success, we started realizing is we don't know what we don't know. And we started bringing in other people and talking to other people and understanding that finance is not one of our strengths. So how, do, how can we forecast and predict what we're, how we're going to do? How do we understand how to look at numbers? So what we did is we, we, took, we spoke around and we did a hire a CFO and sat with them mm. for a certain amount of hours to understand how to look at our business. I mean, that was a big thing for us is like, because we're so project oriented, you know, our invoicing and money comes in at random times. So we might get a lot of money in one month and nothing in for three months, but how can we live like that? You know, like we didn't right. understand how to live like that. Well, we brought in a CFO to help us look at numbers in a different way, understand numbers in a different way. Both of us had no um, entrepreneurship experience. Like we didn't know business development. We didn't understand how to look at a business. So what we do is we talk to someone who does and help us think through what are our goals look like? How do we back into those? How should we be thinking about the amount of clients? Oh, things like uh, our processes. We're very process oriented people, but we had never literally written down what happens from the moment we talk to a potential client till we deliver a project. Oh my goodness. Just think through every single step of the way. Like, where should I be spending my time? Where should Elizabeth be spending her time? Where should, where can we hire someone so they could be spending their time doing that? Just no one, no one taught us that. We just didn't know. And so when we started looking at that and like, wow, okay, so here's our process. And this stuff we could just outsource. This stuff is where we really, really need to be focusing because this gets the biggest ROI. It was just those things. So as we started bringing in different people, talking to different experts, realizing what we're good at and what we're not good at. And then between her and I, really, really identifying what our strengths are and where we should be focusing. So maybe I shouldn't be um, on certain calls or she shouldn't be on certain calls. Like we really just needed to divide our time and our roles more specifically. I think that also gave us a ton, tons more confidence. I love that. Okay. Um, I'm looking at the time. I want to get in one more kind of nitty gritty question because I love that I mean, essentially what I heard in your answer to that last question was sort of uh, actually building out the business, developing the business, thinking about the business itself is something that has given you guys confidence. So how has the business itself, like the team that you work with, the the services that you offer, how has the kind of the operations of that evolved over the last three years as you've worked with more and more of these really big clients? What's different about that than you expected it to be? So I think the biggest thing I would say is everything we do is process oriented now. Everything we do is logged. We So for instance, we now figure out where uh, every minute of our day is spent and how we could bring the most value to that. So I think like that was the biggest learning um, in moving forward is just understanding uh, what our roles are for each other and to each project. So, so that when we work with a client, they absolutely understand who is, who is, who is facing them each day, who is representing things. And when we each kind of come in and out of each project. Mm. So it used to be that uh, a project would come in, maybe I brought the project in, so I kind of run it. Elizabeth pops in where necessary, or we're both on everything. So for instance, we'd both be at the shoot, we would um, both be sitting in every meeting, and like 
that just wasn't sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so what we did is we literally spent time listing out our roles and figuring out what our roles are. And so it turned out that, you know, my focus is really on the development and I, I need to be involved in development on every project, but that doesn't necessarily mean I need to be leading every project because Mm. I'm not, I'm not great at schedules and keeping people on task to schedules. I'm not great at budgets. Like, but Elizabeth is really strong at that. So maybe she should be the client facing manager or she's like, she's the project manager and I'm essentially dipping in and out as necessary. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was, that was huge for us. And it allowed us to scale pretty quickly and bring in, we could bring in other producers as necessary that understand our processes. And because we've been able to document everything, I think, um, onboarding producers, has been really easy for us now. They understand our systems really quick. And not only that, then they bring in their expertise mm-hmm. and help us. Every single time we work with a new client, we end up with new templates too. Ooh. And so we just keep everything because you never know when you're going to use it again. So I just, it's so funny. Literally yesterday, we're working with a client, um, a new client, a new, very exciting client who I can't say yet, but it's one of the biggies. Everyone has heard of this one. And uh, they, they needed to create, I wanted them to kind of, we're helping them develop a course and I needed to create a, a sort of outline template that would work for them and for the platform they're going to be using. And so I was able to bang this out fairly quickly. Bam, here's a new template. Here's a new outline template that now is going to take me one minute to send to a potential new client instead of an hour to create. Mm-hmm. And so we just, we're, very, we're much better at, organizing, keeping everything and reusing as necessary so that we can just iterate based on the new client. I love it. I absolutely love it. Okay. What's next for you guys? What are you really excited about right now? So we realized about six months ago is that this thing is just bigger than the two of us. Um, like we've really tapped into something and we're on to something. And so we spent a lot of time really focusing on what we want this business to be. And so we're calling it operation phase two. So what you're (laughs) going to see is um, we are about to relaunch our new branding, our new site. Um, And we're really now going to be focusing on, so we have been blessed in the sense that all of our work has either come through the door through word of mouth, through our network, um, through people we've worked with. We've never really done sales and our marketing has been pretty poor, to be honest with you. So phase two is going to be developing a sales strategy um, honing in our brand and creating some content marketing and really establishing ourselves as leaders in this industry in our, in, in, in our unique way and like kind of what we bring to the table. So it's a matter of just starting to become thought leaders in, um, in e-learning and the idea of narrative and e-learning and how companies, companies should be creating bespoke video education, not only for their clients, to upskill, to onboard, but also for their employees. And um, yeah, and so that that's that's kind of us looking ahead is is kind of figuring out phase two, building our client list and and yeah, figuring out how big we could take this thing. That is music to my ears. Michael Karsh, thank you so much for sharing this journey that you guys have been on, landing these giant clients and and how it has evolved both your confidence and the operations of your company. Oh, it's been my pleasure. It's been so great connecting, Tara. Find out more about Michael Karsh and Edios Media at ediosmedia.com. 
Now it's your turn to get candid about confidence. We're hosting an ongoing conversation about confidence on our Instagram handle at explore what works. Find today's post about Michael's story and let us know about something that hasn't gone quite as expected in your business. How did it impact your confidence level? How did you adjust your approach and your mindset? Or you can tell us your story in your own Instagram feed or story using the hashtag candidconfidence. Our next Candid Confidence conversation is with Hillary Ray, the founder of Tell Me a Story. You'll hear how Hillary finds confidence in showing up and sharing her story, even when things get rough. This episode was produced and edited by Sean McMullen. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find more Candid Conversations and personal reflections about navigating insecurity and finding the confidence to take the next step at explorewhatworks.com slash confidence.